start with. When I was processing out of the army, there was an old soldier. When I was processing into the army, there's an old soldier processing out. He had served as an infantryman in Vietnam, and he was kind of giving us the the once over that you give new soldiers when they come in, you know. And one day he was had us out doing something, and we were supposed to be up on fire guard. At, and one guy had fallen asleep when he was supposed to be on guard. And the guy caught him and began to really rake him over the coals and to, to kind of make him understand how important being awake when you're supposed to be on guard was. He told us a story of things that happened when he was in Vietnam. One of the issues that American soldiers in Vietnam had to deal with were some of the actions, some of the psychological, the psychological impact of some of the actions the Vietnamese, the, the Vietnamese soldiers did to them. One of the things that he said happened often was if a Vietnamese were patrolling through the jungle and they came upon a an American encampment and the soldier that was supposed to be on guard was asleep, that rather than kill the soldier on guard, what they would do is they would slip past him and they would go in and then they would try to kill everyone else in their sleep without waking them up. Then they would leave again without waking the soldier up. And the soldier would startle awake, realizing he had slept past it through his guard, would get up to go wake up the next person on shift, and then he would find that all of his buddies had been killed, and it was essentially his fault. The soldier told us many of those who experienced this never mentally recovered. That would just be a hard weight to deal with. Now, in my mind, I can see Satan doing something similar to, similar to this in the, to the church in our day. If he can catch us as disciples of Jesus asleep when we're supposed to be awake, then he can sneak by and he can do things he wouldn't normally be able to do. I fear far too often when it comes to spiritual warfare, we are, we are more reactionary than we are active. Right? We, we see it when it happens and we jump to action at that point, but it's almost like up to that point we've been asleep. We weren't paying attention. We weren't alert to what could have been going on, and we weren't doing what we could to fight against it. Now, one of the main ways we fight against Satan in advance is through prayer. I mean, there's not a... There, you know, you buy a book on spiritual warfare, you look at it, a lot of what is sold under the heading of, say, spiritual warfare, really you don't find in the Bible. I mean, there's a lot of odd stuff that passes for spiritual warfare teaching, and ideas, and, and it may sound good, and, and it may be kind of like, well, that would be awesome to, you know, you just have the power to command and do this. But you don't see any of that in the Bible. Instead, in the Bible, what you see is we, we submit to God, we resist the devil, we pray to resist temptation, those kinds of things. And so we, we want to be proactive. We don't want to be reactive. We don't want to, we don't want to do the, the weird stuff because that's not biblical. Um, but we don't want to be reactive. We don't want to just sit and be asleep and let things happen and go by us and not be aware of the dangers around us. We want to be proactive in our prey because we know the schemes are always there. We know he's always at work. He's prowling around like a roaring lion. We know about the wiles of the devil and all of the things the Bible tells us. And so we need to take what we know and let that stir us. Let that wake us. Let that push us to be people who are busy about being intercessors, crying out to God on behalf of others. And, and the Bible has a great picture of, for us 
of what kind of intercessors we're supposed to be. And so if Isaiah 62, verse 6 and 7, uh, it says, I have set upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace, day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence, and give him, give God no rest, till he establish, until he make Jerusalem a praise on the earth. Now, God talks about setting watchmen on the walls of Jerusalem. Now, this was a common practice in this time. Uh, a city would have at least one guard, if not more, who was a watchman who watched. Really, they had different shifts and pretty much, I would say, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there were multiple watchmen. Probably, you would imagine, there would be some that would watch the four corners, right? There'd be some facing north, some facing south, some facing east, some facing west. And, and they were watching. And their, their whole job really was to be awake and to look. And they were watching for the signs of an enemy army or an aggressive force coming their way. And when they saw the aggressive force, or when they saw the invading army come, they were to then take up the, the shofar horn that they had, and they were to blow a sound. And the sound that they would blow would resonate through the city, and it would cause everybody to realize we're under attack. But one of the keys to being the watchman was that you had to sound the alarm before the attack happened. But if they were already bashing into the wall and if they were already trying to climb up over and they were already trying to go through the gate to sound the alarm then was better than nothing. But it certainly wasn't what a, a watchman was supposed to do. To wait until the army was already there and already at the gate to sound the alarm would be a sign of a pretty poor watchman. They are supposed to sound it in advance as far off as they could. Now, notice what it says about these watchmen, though. These aren't soldiers, not the kind of soldiers that stand there to sound the alarm and, and call the charge to go off to arms. These are watchmen who never hold their peace, not day or night. They, they make mention of the Lord. In other words, they're crying out to the Lord. They're not keeping silent. They're giving God no rest until God establishes and he makes Jerusalem a praise on the earth. Essentially, what God is saying here is these watchmen are intercessors and they cry out to God day and night and they cry out to God day and night until God fulfills his promises concerning Jerusalem. Now, the wording of the passage is interesting. They never hold their peace. They keep not silent and they give God no rest. I mean, that's a. That's a great picture, right? That is a great picture of intercessory prayer. Right? Just a, a constant crying out to God. Every time they think about it, crying out to God, not giving, and even the wording, giving God no rest. It's like God can't get away from hearing them cry out to make Jerusalem a praise on the earth. What a great picture of an intercessor. Now, every disciple of Jesus is meant to be an intercessor, a watchman on the wall, interceding for others. Now, the watchman here, the kind of watchman we are, we're not watching for the enemy to come and crying out to the people 
on behalf of a danger coming. Not in this instance. We are in Ezekiel, but not here. In this instance, we're crying out to God on behalf of the people. Probably maybe because we see a danger. Maybe because we want God to work in a certain situation and to do something. We aren't crying out to the people about an impending danger and telling them to take arms. Rather, we are crying out to God on behalf of people about the impending danger. We're asking God to keep His Word toward us, to keep His Word about what He will do in us and through us and for us and for others. And it's just a great picture of an intercessor. Now, if we're going to be watchmen on the walls, there are three ways. Um, and if you have your hand out there, you can see the first one is, and I'm not going to use, I didn't do the slides because I've got there. Embrace the responsibility of a watchman. Uh, embrace the responsibility of a watchman. Every disciple of Jesus is meant to be a watchman. Now, notice it says God put them there. I have set watchmen on thy walls, O Jerusalem. This was God's doing. How great is God that he puts people in a particular place at a particular time so they can cry out to him in this way. He put them there. But in a similar way, God has placed us where we are. So we can be his watchmen in this place, in this time, to pray for God to do his will and to do what needs to be done in this time. I mean, you just think about it. We, we know We know we're not here by random chance and circumstance. We know God is sovereign and we are where we are by divine design. Now, one of the best illustrations of this, of course, is the story of Queen Esther. Everything about Esther's story seems like bad circumstances. She was Israelite when the when the country was taken. Family was taken, brought into a foreign country. At some point, her parents were killed, raised by her cousin. At some point, while she was walking down the street, she was kidnapped by the soldiers, taken to the king's harem. There she was prepared for a year, isolated from her family. Then she was taken in to spend one night with the king to see if he would like her. He did. And there she arose to the throne. And while she was at the throne, another man rose up in power and there who hated the Jews and wanted to kill them all and came up with a scheme. And he had this scheme that was going to have every Jew in the province killed. According to the king's directive, even. And Esther just happened to be there. And the only person in the kingdom who would care if the Jews were killed And also, virtually the only person in the kingdom that could have the king's ear to stop what was going to happen. Now, again, we know the story. Esther was not there by random chance and circumstance. The, The most famous line in the book is when her cousin tells her, Who knows if you have been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this? That's the That's like the key to the whole book. But here's the deal. For such a time as this isn't just for Esther. It's for us too. We're here right now in this place at this time. For such a time as this. 
We're not here by random chance and circumstance. God has placed us here at this time, in this place, for His purposes. Placed us where He could best use us, work through us to accomplish His will in the world. Where we would be His watchmen on the walls in this time and in this place. And we must accept that. Embrace our responsibility to be our to be watchmen right here and right now in the world in which we live. Now when we think about embracing our role as watchmen, think about it in all the various areas of life. Right? Our families. Right? You and I are our families, whether it's our spouse or our children or our grandchildren or other members of our family that we have regular contact with or we're burdened about. Why do we have that level of influence with them? Why do we have that interaction with them? It's not just because they're our family. It is, there is in, in many ways God's divine design. We are watchmen. God's watchmen to cry out on their behalf. Or our church. Why does God want us here? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I assume we all feel the same way. We're, we're the church God wants us to be in. I mean, I, I, we're, we're not here just because we moved to Guyman and there was a Free Will Baptist Church. We felt God pushed us here, led us here. And I think probably most in here feel the same way. Why? Why are we in this church in Guyman, Oklahoma at this time? Because God has placed us here to be watchmen on the wall. To cry out for this church. For God to, to do His will in us and through us and for us. Our, our community. I mean, our community. Think about the people you know in our community. The issues you know about in our community. Why has God placed those people in your life? Why has God made it so you know about those issues? So you can pray. So you can be God's watchman to cry out on behalf of those people, those families, and those issues. Even our country. What a mess, right? What a, a mess this last year has been. But guess what? We, we, we are here in this time period for such a time as this. Not, not to gripe. And not to fear and not to be angry, but to be God's watchman, to cry out on behalf of our nation for God to do his will. Our mission, our mission as disciples of Jesus is to make disciples of all nations. That is the great commission. That's the command. And so we our area of influence is our local mission. Again, we're here for such a time as this. Our state. Pray about the state mission works that need to be started. Our national mission works that need to be started. I mean, there are lots of places outside of Oklahoma where there are no evangelical churches. International. You know, as Free Will Baptist, one of the blessings we have as Free Will Baptist is we can know far more about our international missionaries than, than the average. I mean, Southern Baptists have 
such a large denomination with so many missionaries, it is difficult to find out what's going on. But not so with us. Free Will Baptist International Missionaries every week shares a hotline. And they send it out on Facebook. They send it out on email if you sign up. And all the missionaries in Free Will Baptist send in letters and tell them what to have the people pray for. And every Wednesday, we can pray specifically for every Free Will Baptist missionary. Such a time as this, we can have contact with them on Facebook. We can friend them. We can ask them questions. They can tell us personally things to pray for. And then frontier missions or unreached people of the day. And that's a part of the deal. Part of God's plan is for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. To be able to be proclaimed as a witness to every nation and then the end will come, Matthew 24, 14 says. And again, in our day, we have access to know something about those people groups. There are lots, there are multiple groups that reveal information, ways to pray, what's going on with them. I mean, there, there are just a, a ton of ways we can be active and be watchmen on the wall praying for the mission of making disciples of all nations from, from right here in Gaiman, Oklahoma, all the way to Istanbul. And we can pray specifically for things. Embrace. Embrace your role as a watchman. Embrace your responsibility as a watchman. And realize the technology we have, the, the access we have, the knowledge we have, it's not accidental. It is God's divine design. We are here for such a time as this. Secondly, pray without ceasing. God says in Isaiah that these people are going to not hold their peace they're going to consistently make mention of the Lord. They're not going to keep silent. And they're going to give God no rest. It's just a, a constant praying. Never letting up, never letting go. Crying out on behalf of, of Jerusalem in their case. Now, when I talk about praying without ceasing, I don't think we could pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We have to sleep. Although, and this isn't in my notes, but it's just a neat story. In, in Hernhut, Germany, quite a while ago, a group called the Moravians started a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week prayer revival. And somebody in their church was praying every hour of the day Seven days a week, and it went on for 100 years, unbroken. Coincidentally, they also were some of the original missionaries to take the gospel to the unreached peoples of the world. And in that hundred years were some of the most fruitful missionaries and evangelists the world has ever known. But we can't individually pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But we can pray continually. We can pray and refuse to hold our peace. And, and the picture here is surely more than just praying in the mornings and then moving on with our day and never really praying again. I mean, the picture has to be praying again continually throughout the day. And so there's several ways we can try to be this kind of intercessor, try to be this kind of watchman that never holds our peace, that 
always makes mention that doesn't keep silent and gives God no rest. Right? And I've given some in the handout there. Have a regular time of prayer. That's, of course, always the foundational aspect. One of the main ways we're going to be watchmen is to have a regular time of prayer. But also pray as you drive or as you walk around town. I'm reading a book on prayer walking. And prayer walking is just what it sounds like. You walk and you pray for your community. And in the book, the guy talks about another prayer walker that had he found he was found. He was just kind of saying the same things over and over and over. He didn't want to do that. So he began to look at ordinary objects he would see in the community and let those objects spur him into how to pray. So I began to try to think that that's a great idea. So here's some things I've done as I walked at the park not long ago. The lights at the park. I saw those and I'd pray, Lord, let let our light shine from our church. That we would be like a city set on a hill. Or let the light of the gospel shine from our church out into our community. Or the geese honking. You know, once they start, they just honk, 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 honk. I was like, let us be bold. To sound forth the gospel in, in Gaiman and beyond. Of course, when they started honking, you know, the geese began to come together. And I thought, let us. And then they form up and they fly. And, and of course, the way I understand it, when they fly, the formation thing kind of helps them all. That The lift is on them all. And I was like, let us work together to take the gospel to Gaiman and beyond. I even walked out, I stepped in goose poop. And I thought, you know what? Let us be willing to get involved in the messiness of people's lives in order to help them come to know Jesus Christ. And the bench. Let our church be a place where the weary can find rest. And you get the idea. Everything we see as we drive around town can spark our thoughts in some way. Some way to pray for our community, for our country, for our church, for our families. Pray for the people you see in Walmart. Pray for the restaurants you eat at. Set alarms to pray at regular times throughout the day. I have my alarm set to pray three times. 10.02, Luke 10.02 for laborers. So at 10.02 in the morning, I pray for laborers to be sent out into Gaiman. At 10.40 in the morning, the, the place where the unreached are is called the 10.40 window. And I pray for a particular area. I share the unreached of the day every day, or at least I try to. But I pray for that every morning at 1040 for a particular India or North Korea for laborers to be sent there. And then at 1002 in the evening, I pray for laborers to be sent to our free one of our free will Baptist international fields. So you can set alarms to remind you to pray prayer apps. Man, there's a, a ton of prayer apps you can find for the unreached of the day. There's an app and it's just every day there's a an unreached per, an unreached people group. It tells you about them. There's a picture of them. Tells you ways to pray. It's, it's really neat. It's called the Joshua Project or the Unreach of the Day. There's also something called Open Doors. And the Open Doors app is ways to pray for the persecuted church. So they tell you real stories of churches in, say, Nigeria that are suffering. And specific ways to pray for those people in those places and the things they're going through. Stuff like that can help us to be watchmen. Who, who give God no rest, who refuse to hold our peace, who do not cease day or night to cry out for God to, to keep His Word to do what He said He would do. As we go throughout our day, there are plenty of opportunities to pray. Now, these don't have to be long prayers. 
In fact, as you're driving and prayer walking and going through Walmart, there probably won't be. Think what Charles Spurgeon referred to some as, as breath prayers. So he would just bless them, Lord, help with that, God. Open their eyes to see Jesus. Something like that, just short prayers that are on the subject or whatever you're praying about, but it's still a legitimate prayer nonetheless. These breath prayers throughout the day are ways for us to, to not hold our peace, to constantly call upon the Lord, to not keep silent, to give Him no rest. And then pray big, bold prayers. I'll have to go quickly. The watchmen pray for God, make Jerusalem a praise on the earth. That's a big thing. That's a big, bold prayer. Especially in light of what we, from the as people who've read the Bible, we know what the people in the Old Testament were like. For Jerusalem to be a praise for God on the earth, wow, that's a big thing. So pray big things. We serve a big God. Pray boldly. And we don't have time to look into it and get to it, but like Abraham in Genesis 18 when he cries out on behalf of Sodom. Really, of course, we probably know he's trying to save Lot, his nephew, and his family. Think about how bold he was to stand before God and say, wouldn't you lower the, the number for judgment if it was just five less? Surely the God of all the earth is going to do right. But, you know, surely you won't destroy the righteous with the wicked, will you, God? That's a, a big Bold prayer, and God was glad. So pray big, pray bold prayers. So let's take a few minutes right here where we are and pray to be this kind of watchman. God, we come tonight and God, we want to be watchmen. We want to be intercessors. We want to be we want to be what you've described here. So guide us and let us embrace our responsibility as watchmen. To understand we are where we are by your divine design. For such a time as this, we're here. Father, our, our sinful nature is going to want to push back and say, well, it's not my place or it's not my responsibility. But Lord, let your spirit and your word work greater than our sinful nature. And, and let us say, I am. And, and as much as lies within me, I'm going to be this kind of watchman. I'm going to pray without ceasing. Father, as we go through our day as we just look at the random objects we see, show us a way to pray based upon what we see. As we encounter people at the store, show us and let us say, pray for them. Let your spirit just tell us to pray for them. God, let, let us be a people who, who give you no rest until you, you do what your word says you would do. 
until you get the gospel and have it proclaimed in front of every nation and every ethnic group as a witness to them about the good news of Jesus Christ so the end can come. That the lost would be saved, that the community would be transformed as the gospel spreads throughout it. And let us, Father, let us pray big because you're big. Let us pray for you to do the great big things you have said you would do and pray with confidence that you can do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or imagine. Make us watchmen, God. Burden our hearts with this and let us cry out to you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we intercede as watchmen, one question we should ask is why? Why should God answer our prayers? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about when we pray, why would God hear and answer our prayers? I have, and I think at times, I know mine, I know my reasoning has been flawed. And and I'm going to assume you have the same flaw I do. And the flaw is kind of a self-focus or a maybe self-importance even. God should answer my prayer because I'm the one who prayed it. I, I prayed so God should hear. I I got up in the morning. I spent the time God ought to hear and answer that prayer. Or or praying for someone. God, it's them. I really love them. You ought to answer it because it's them. And the reality is this is a very human-centered philosophy. And God is not actually very human-centered as far as those sorts of things go. God isn't as passionate about our self-focus as we are passionate about our self-focus. But there are things God is passionate about and we find them in his word. And when we connect our prayers to God's passions, great things can begin to happen. So there are several you've seen in there and we won't have time to look at all of them the night. But just let me... Maybe we'll look at all of them just but quickly-ish. God is passionate for His glory. Malachi 1, 11, The rising of the sun, even to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. God is passionate for His glory, for Him to be glorified. So as we pray... And we intercede for things. We should pray for God to to work in a way that would bring Him the most glory. Now with this, I will say this. There is in praying for God's glory an element of surrender. Because the way I think God would be best glorified may not be the way God knows He would be best glorified. If I'm going through a hard time, I know I think God would be most glorified By removing me from that hard time. Making the hard time stop. But what if God knows. What will actually glorify him most. Is if I suffer well. In that time. What if God knows. That the way he will be most glorified. Is if that hard time purifies me. And forges the Christ like character. James 1 or Romans 5 talks about. 
See, so when we pray for God's glory, it's not just something we can tag on and, oh, God, do this for your glory. And God's like, oh, I've got to do it now. No, it's a, it's a surrender. God, work in this and, and do what would bring you the most glory. Because this is his desire to be glorified among the nations. Right? Not just among our church or even among our community, but among all the peoples of all the world. God wants people worshiping him all over. And so we, that is a known passion of God. We see it all throughout the Bible. So when we connect the known passion of God, the passion for His glory, with our prayer, and we truly, God, you can glorify yourself through this, well then we're on to something. God is passionate about the holiness of His people. Right? As obedient children, we're born again, not fashioning yourselves according to your former lust, as the manner, uh, not the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you as holy shall be holy in all manner of conversation or life, because it's written, Be holy for I'm holy. You know, God has always wanted His people to be different, separate apart from the world around them, both in the Old and in the New Testament. So we pray for God to work in someone's life, our lives, our church, so that we would be a holy people. Well, that's a known passion of God, and we're we're on to something at that point. But God is Passionate for the purity of his church. Ephesians 5. Jesus died for the church that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of the water. That he might present it to himself as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. You know, the, the teaching of the husband and wife in Ephesians 5 is a picture. So he says at the end, is, I speak in a mystery, but it's a picture of Christ in the church. That the, the husband should love the wife as Christ has loved the church. And the husband should give himself for his wife as, as Christ has given himself for his church. And, and the wife submits to the husband as the church submits to Christ. And, and the husband works for the purity of the marriage and the sanctification of his family as Christ works for the sanctification of his church. So when we pray for our church, there should be purity. Pray we would be a pure church. You know, in the day in which we live, that's a big thing, I think. Compromise. Compromise is, is everywhere. But see, it's not just us. I mean, compromise in America is huge. Huge. And not compromising is going to be painful at some point in the future. But there are places in the world right now where purity in the church is already painful. Some of the churches in China and in the, the 1040 window area where people are rising up and making disciples... It is difficult for them for not to compromise. So we can pray for them and say, God, keep them pure. No matter what else you do. And this, we are connecting our watchman with God's passion. And again, we're, we're on to something. God is passionate to keep his covenant. Deuteronomy 7. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God. The faithful God, which keepeth his covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So God in the Old Testament made a covenant with Israel. Right? They would, if they would do these things, God would do those things. But if they didn't do those things, God would do these things. But as I read at the start of service in Hebrews, God has made a, a new covenant in our time. A new testament is what the King James says. In Hebrews, but it's a new covenant. The, what we call our New Testament could literally be said as the new covenant. And the new covenant is not 
we do these things and God does those things. Instead, it is a covenant through Christ. That's why for all the promises of God, in Him are yes and in Him are amen to the glory of God by us. So we find a promise. God, you have said you would do. God is passionate about keeping the covenant He made. Right? Because He made it. He initiated it. He sacrificed for it. He shed the blood for it. He did all the work. All we did was just say, yes, Lord. And God is passionate about that. So when we say this is a promise, you have said you would do this. And I'm in covenant relationship with you through Christ. We're in we again, we've connected our watchman with his passion. And we're on to something. God is passionate to see sinners repent. The Lord is not slack concerning his Promise of some men count slackness, but as long suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Listen, with this one, never give up praying on somebody. It doesn't matter how deep someone goes into sin. It doesn't matter what they do or what religion. I mean, this is how we can we can pray passionately and confidently for our prodigals. Who have gone far away and may have gone terrible sin. Why? Because God is not willing that any should perish. He's long suffering toward them. Wanting them to come to repentance. But it's not just for our prodigals and those here. I mean, when you pray for the unreached nations. Some of those people do horrible things. Right? I mean, some of the the religions in India... They're not what you would call good people. White missionaries would not be welcome in those countries. But God is long-suffering toward them too. He's not willing for them to perish. He, He wants them to come to repent. So we can pray passionately and confidently for the unreached of the world. Because God wants them to come to repentance. God is passionate about his relationship with us. Exodus 34, 14 says, For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. The the NLT, uh, I think the one you guys have, the second edition says, He is jealous about his relationship with us. The, The first edition NLT said God is passionate about his relationship with us. Now, jealous often has a, a negative connotation, but in this case it doesn't. God is jealous about his relationship with us, right? He wants us to be faithful to him is what he's jealous for. Now, the Bible often uses the image of a husband, right? A husband and a wife to imitate the relationship between God and his people. Are you jealous about your relationship with your spouse, right? Worship no other God. Do you do you want your spouse to share intimacy with someone else, with another man or another woman? Are you jealous for them to be faithful to you? Well, the answer, I'm certain, is yes. Well, that's how God feels about us. So when we connect that, and of course James says, draw near to God, He will draw near to us. So as we pray for someone, or we pray, God is passionate about His relationship with, with His people. When we connect our being a watchman to that known passion of God, well, God's that's just that's something that will stir the heart of God, so to speak. God is passionate for the nations to praise him. Turn to Genesis or I'm sorry, Psalm 96. 
And I just want to, this is probably my favorite psalm right now. I try to pray it once a month. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless His name. Show forth His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the heathen or the nations. His wonders among the people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For the gods of the nations are idols. The Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Given to the Lord, O you kindreds of the people. Given to the Lord glory and strength. Given to the Lord glory, do His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before Him all the earth. Say among the heathen or the nations, the Lord reigns. The world shall not be, the world shall be established that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the world righteously that the heavens rejoice, that the earth be glad, that the sea roar in the fullness thereof, that the field be joyful, all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness, the people with his truth. God has always been passionate for all the nations. To worship Him. right? So this is kind of a neat thing. We often have the idea, in the Old Testament, God just cared about Israel. In the New Testament, God cares about Israel plus everyone else. But that's not the case. All throughout the Old Testament, there's stuff like this. Declare His glory among the heathen. The nations, that's what it was talking about. God was concerned. I mean, that's why God sent Jonah to Nineveh. He was concerned about the nations. So God is passionate for the nations to praise Him. Right? God is passionate for the nations of Gaiman, which are many at this point, to praise Him. God is passionate for the nations, the, the ethnic groups in India and in North Korea and in Africa to praise Him. We know because also because Revelation 7, 9. There's going to come a day when the great multitude, which no one can number... All nations and all kindreds and all people and all tongues will stand before the throne and the Lamb in white robes and palms in their hands. We pray confidently for God to save the nations, to get the gospel to the nations, for the good news to be proclaimed to the nations. The nations here and the nations there. This is a passion of God. So when we connect our being an intercessor to to this known passion of God, we're on to something. God is passionate for people to know him and to love him. Romans 5, 6, when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. It jumps down to verse 11. For if we were his enemies, if when we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much the more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so. But we joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the atonement. The NLT in verse 11 says, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. God is so passionate about people who don't know him knowing him and who don't love him loving him. He sent Jesus to die in their stead. So we, we pray. I mean, again, this goes back to praying for repentance. We can pray for the people here, no matter how sinful they are, what religion they may be involved in, what kind of wicked things they may have done, confidently, because God is passionate about them knowing Him, and them loving Him, and them being reconciled to Him. But we can take that and apply it to the nations as well. God is passionate about saving Americans, and God is passionate about saving Jews, and God is passionate about saving people from India and people from Africa. God is passionate about all people of the earth.
knowing him and loving him. So passionate, in fact, he sent Jesus to die for their sins. So we can connect our praying to this passion and we'd be on to something. And then the last one, God is passionate for people to know he is the Lord. All throughout the book of Exodus, or the early parts of the book of Exodus, when it's getting into the plagues. Repeatedly, God says some variation of, I'm going to do this so Egypt will know I am the Lord. I will do this and Israel will know I am the Lord, their God. Right. And so then you get to Ezekiel and God says similar things. I will do this and all the people will know I am the Lord. God is very concerned, very passionate about people knowing there's only one God. And it's not anyone else. It is Yahweh. It is Jesus. So, and Psalm 920 is a prayer based upon that. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. That's one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. But God, do this so that people will know you are the Lord. Right? You, true, you are the one true God. And when we connect our, our being a, a watchman with this known passion of God, we're on to something. These are some of the known passions of God. When we connect our prayers to God's passions, we are more likely to experience God's power. Now, one thing about this, and we'll be almost through. Connecting our prayers to God's passions is only valuable if we mean it. God's not a genie. And God's not, prayer isn't magic. With a genie and with magic... What matters are the words you say. And if you say the right words, and you say the right words in the right way, the right things happen. But that's not prayer, and that's not God. God can't be manipulated with words. There's things He's not going to do, but if we say, do it for your glory, He's going to be like, you twisted my arm, you've figured out the key, now I have to do it. Connecting our prayers to the known passions of God really is only significant and only powerful if we truly, God, Glorify yourself in this. Make people know you are God. Save them, O oh God. Let your gospel be proclaimed to the nations. If, if our passions for prayer are aligned with God's passions, something amazing can happen. But, but here's what's most amazing. It's not the result of our prayer. That's what's going on in us. Think about it. If our motivation for prayer is something that is based upon the known passion of God, and that's truly, I want this, I want God to, to be glorified. I want God to make himself known. I, I want God to save the nations, to purify his church. What an amazing thing has happened in our heart. Our hearts have gone from being selfish and self-centered to being synced up with the heart of God and, and His heart and His passions are our heart and our passions. And what a great work of God has been done in us and through us and for us at that point. We, we not only want to sync these things up so that God will work, we want to sync them up because it's a sign we have been and are being transformed. We'll close with this. God says in Isaiah, for watchmen not to keep their peace, not to keep silent, to give him 
no rest until he fulfills his promises. But what we know from reading the Old Testament is most often God's watchmen fall short. At times there were none. At other times the Bible says they were blind and they were ignorant. Let us tonight determine we will be God's watchmen in diamond. And by God's grace, through the help of the Spirit, we will we will be God's watchmen and we will pray as God's watchmen. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed in prayer.